Praise God. Welcome to everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us tonight, we are glad to have you with us. If you're joining us online tonight, wherever you may be watching from, we welcome you as a part of this service. Pray that you are blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 5. Matthew 16, verse number 5. Started a couple of weeks ago and will continue tonight, perhaps in the future, the Lord willing. Jesus said several times throughout the gospel, take heed, take heed. So tonight, Matthew 16, verse 5, the Lord willing, we will cover two more of these this evening, but we'll see. Famous last words. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread, which, was, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith. Why reason ye among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So again, he says, verse number 6, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Father, thank you for your presence in this place tonight. Thank you for your spirit that we have felt manifested in this service. Thank you for responding to our praise and our worship tonight. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit in this place tonight. God, I ask that through your word you would speak to us tonight that your spirit would minister to us, give us hearts that are open to hear and to receive what you would desire to say to us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. The Message Bible says it this way, verse number 5, On their way to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered discovered they had forgotten to bring along bread. What's really interesting about this is they have just left the feeding of the 5,000 in which there were 12 baskets left over. You know what? I I, I believe that a lot of times we miss the importance of a message in a service because we sit and listen to whether or not it applies to where we are and what we're going through. And there's a really good chance that he may be giving you some bread for tomorrow. And so rather than you, whether it's me or anybody else that stands in a pulpit, and you sit and go, you know, I don't really need that right now. I'm not really going through that. 
must be for somebody else. It could very well be that he's preparing you or putting something inside of you that you will need for the future. I'll never forget the very first time, Brother Middleton, I came to preach at Severn in my travels. And uh, we were still transitioning, leaving Arnold. And so my wife still, I think, had some responsibilities at that time. I dropped her off at the church, and I was about to pull off the parking lot. And and uh, I, I don't encourage you to be one of these kind of people, but I put my faith in the estimated miles that it says I have to go in my fuel tank. I trust that wholeheartedly, and uh, fortunately it hasn't let me down yet, thank God. Um, but I, I usually run it down to just a couple of miles to go. And I was pulling off the parking lot, and I looked at how many miles I had to go, and, and uh, the general idea of how far it was to get to Severn, and I knew, I, I calculated that I had enough fuel to get me there. And for some really strange reason, because it's not what I would normally do, I just went ahead and decided to pull into Exxon in Arnold and get a little bit of gas. I didn't have time to fill up, I got a little bit. And so I proceeded on my journey to Severn, and Brother Middleton had given me directions how to get there, and I thought I understood what he said, and uh, I, 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 I messed up. And I spent probably 15, 20 minutes that day driving around. You see, I had enough fuel if things went the way I calculated. But the journey didn't go the way I calculated, and thankfully I got a little extra fuel for the journey. There may be some things you've calculated out that aren't going to go quite the way you think they're going to go, and God decides to give you a little bread for the journey in advance that you may not need. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I don't know I don't, how many, anybody here ever been to England or driven in England? Any, so I know a couple of you stationed there. Let me tell you something. I, I, there to me, I, I, you put me in a city in America and I'm pretty good at sense of direction. Uh, even without my GPS on my phone. But I just got to tell you, to, in my opinion, there is no rhyme or reason to the road system in England. And then, you, you, and then instead of traffic lights, as many of you know, but instead of traffic lights, you've got roundabouts everywhere. And so you got to get in that roundabout, and then you got to figure out the, the, the road to get off of that roundabout. And so my dad had rented a car when he got there, and when I got, when Elizabeth and I got there, we took the, took over, or he added us onto the rental, and we kept the car. And so for the first time in England, I've driven in Ireland, which is a little less populated, but for the first time in England, I drove, and everywhere I went, it was dependent upon the GPS. Listen, you know if you've, if you've done that, the safest way to drive is not having to follow the GPS. Compound trying to follow the GPS over on also trying to remember you got to look a totally different way because the traffic's not coming the same way and you don't want to be on the same side of the road you're used to being on. So you're listening to that voice tell you where to go plus trying to calculate all of this. That's really not safe. I am here to tell you, thankfully, there were no accidents. There was no dings from messing up the driving 
but I think it probably for some of the passengers was a little bit of a stressful time. (laughs) When I get in my car this evening and drive home, there will be no GPS on. I probably will pretty much check out mentally because I know exactly how to get home. I don't have to think about it. You ever gotten home, left work and gotten home and you pull in the driveway or you pull in the parking lot of where you live and it's almost like, how did I get here? Because your mind was... You see, when you've, when you've got the destination inside of you, you don't have to think about where you're going. It just kind of comes natural. That's part of the reason some of you find yourself stumbling so much. You have no word to be quickened to your mind. We may not even get to number one, much less covering two of these here tonight. He said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think part of what he was saying was, I put word in my heart because at the moment I need to make a decision, I don't need to be trying at 70 miles an hour, is this the exit I want or is it the next one? I need to just know, get off here, that's where I'm going, stop here, turn here, go there. But if I don't have anything in my heart, there's nothing for the Spirit to quicken to my mind. Oh my goodness, I'm not even... I I spent 15 years, I think it was, 10, 15 years. One of the things I did for almost every week of of that time as, as principal of Antioch Christian School was teach chapel. Let me tell you something, when you sit down or when you stand in front of a group of students... During the middle of a school day, you usually do not feel much Holy Ghost. There is usually not an overwhelming amount of anointing that's flowing at that moment. Sometimes, and I was the one that did it, and I don't know why I did it, but sometimes chapel was kindergarten through 12th grade. Most of the time we broke it up some, but there were times it was K through 12. Let me tell you something. There's no way to communicate to a 12th grader what they want to hear or need to hear and a kindergartner have a clue. And then if you're going to talk to the kindergartner, you're losing the rest of them because it's too elementary. The bottom line was I came to this conclusion and this was my goal. That when I walked in there, I was ultimately not looking for a move of God in that service. (laughs) And fortunately, most of the time I got what I was looking for. (laughs) But I went in there with this goal every time. I am planting seed. And I'm putting seed that at some day I'm trusting is going to produce something in that life. Brother Spriggs, I will never forget for a lot of different reasons. How many of you were on that bus coming back from Youth Congress that we ended up in the median on Interstate 81? I was sitting, I think, front seat, front first or second seat. Esther was in my lap. She was, I think, just a couple years old. She was asleep in my lap. I was asleep. And I awoke to the bus driver saying, Oh, blank. He was not a church member, I will tell you. That's what woke me up as we start across three lanes of traffic, headed down into the median on Interstate 81. The bus tilting so much that stuff was falling out of the overhead compartments. We finally came to a stop in that median, thankfully having hit nothing or no one. 
we get out of the bus, the bus driver, I think my brother, I think Brother Mott, if I'm not mistaken, a couple of us were standing outside, and, and what was his name? George? Bob, Bob, that's right. Bob, who was probably around 70, 65, 70 years old, 69, Bob stood, stand there and says, when the bus started going down in the median, I remembered something from one of the first truck driving courses I ever took 20 plus years ago. What he remembered was when you get down in the median, don't hit the brakes. If you can, let the distance and the grass and all that slow you down and bring you to a stop. He's, we stood there, we're standing there, hearts pumping and adrenaline still <laughs> subsiding in the middle of the interstate with him telling us that, saying the first time I thought of that was in that moment. And it hit me standing there in that moment. If something like that that is totally natural can be the case, that it can be put into your mind 20 years ago, and in the moment when it's needed, it would come back out. I just have to believe that I can get some spiritual things in my spirit, and at the very moment I need them, I may not have thought of them in 20 years, but the Spirit can quicken to my mind what it is I need in that moment. But if I never get it there, there's nothing to be quickened. So there's a good chance there's been some times where the message didn't seem to fit you in the moment, but God knew a couple of days, a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of years from now, you're going to need some bread. Think, think about it. This isn't even, this isn't even the point here, but it's too good to pass up for a moment. They are on this boat and they're hungry with nothing to eat. The question is, what happened to 12 baskets of bread? Twelve, twelve baskets were available, but now they're on a boat and they don't have anything to eat. So in the midst of this, Jesus says, keep a sharp eye out for Pharisees, for Pharisee, Sadducee, yeast. Thinking he was scolding them for forgetting bread. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? All they could think about was, we forgot bread. Missing that there's something else that he is trying to communicate to them in this moment. Jesus knew what they were doing and said, Why all these worried whispers about forgetting the bread? Runt believers. <laughs> Haven't you caught on yet? Don't you remember the five loaves of bread and the 5,000 people and how many baskets of fragments you picked up? Or the seven loaves that fed 4,000 and how many baskets of leftovers you collected? Haven't you realized that that bread isn't the problem? The problem is yeast. Pharisees, Sadducees, yeast. Then they got it. He wasn't concerned about eating, but teaching. The Pharisee, Sadducee kind of teaching. Mark 8, verse 15, as I said two weeks ago, there's some of these that are repeated in the Gospels, and this is one of them. Mark 8, 15, it says, He charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees 
And here, Mark, instead of Sadducees, says, and the leaven of Herod. Also, Luke chapter 12, verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that she, you sh- that shall not be known. I said this to you two weeks ago, for those of you that were here, but these two words, take heed, are not translated in the same Greek word every single time. Uh, two weeks ago, it was where Jesus said, take heed that you do not your alms before men. There, the words take heed mean to hold the mind towards, pay attention to, be cautious about, apply oneself to, adhere to, to turn to. In the verses we have read tonight, it means this, properly to stare at, i.e. by implication to discern clearly, physically or mentally. Thayer says it means to see with the eyes, to see with the mind, to perceive, to know absolutely, to see, to become acquainted with by experience, to see, to look. So he said be Take heed that you do not your alms. And, and before men, it was pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to how you're doing it. But here he says you need to discern something. There it's pay attention to what you're doing, how you're doing it. Here what I want you to take heed of is I want you to, des- I want you to be, uh, I want you to be able to perceive. I want you to be able to, to judge, if you will. That the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is not impacting and affecting you. Adam Clark says this, What the leaven of Pharisees and Sadducees was has been already explained in Matthew 16 and 1. Bad doctrines act in the soul as leaven does in meal. They assimilate the whole spirit to their own nature. A man's particular creed has a greater influence on his tempers and conduct than most are aware of. Hmm. Solomon said, guard your heart, because out of it are the issues of life. Listen, if you've got a problem with profanity, the problem is not profanity. The problem is you haven't guarded and you've let stuff in. You've allowed something to get in somewhere. And so he says that that we are more impacted than we realize. We are more influenced by what we allow and put in than what we are really aware of. As normal, I will skip some of this. And those of you that may be interested can read it later. Um, Barnes note says, as after this explanation, they immediately saw that he referred to the doctrines of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Erroneous doctrines are like leaven in the following respect. Number one, they are at first slight and unimportant in appearance, just as leaven is small in quantity as compared with the mass that is to be leavened. They are at first slight and unimportant. It's really a small thing. It's not that big of a deal. Just a little matter. 
Just a little doctrine. It's just a little opinion. I, I, I please, please, I, I, I'm not saying you are, but I challenge you not to just tune me out and put it on cruise control here tonight. Because if we are ever in a time in which we've got to be careful of stuff creeping in that seems subtle and insignificant, but Jesus said, you better be careful. I'll read it here in a little bit. A little leaven. A little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lump. He says that first they seem slight and unimportant. They're really not. It's just a small thing. It's, it, it's just an opinion. They are insinuated into the soul unawares and slightly and silently and are difficult of detection. Number three, they act gradually. Number four, they act most certainly. Number five, they will pervade all the soul and bring all the faculties under their control. A little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lump. Let me tell you something. A person that once believed the truth does not give up all the truth at once. If, if holiness and the principles we teach and preach and believe as apostolics about holiness are nothing more than just a matter of some man's opinion, why is it that almost without fail... Every person that compromises principles and doctrines of holiness, it is only a matter of time until they also change what they believe about the simple plan of salvation. It almost always starts with letting down with the principles of holiness. And it almost never stops before they get to the point that people who at one time believed that speaking in tongues was a, was the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost and people that believed that water baptism by immersion in the name of Jesus was necessary for the forgiveness of sins and people that believed strongly that there was only one God, that there was not Father, Son, Holy Ghost, three separate co-equal persons that almost without fail it starts with holiness, but a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We are in a day and time which more than ever before we are being bombarded to let down what we believe and what we think the Word of God says and what the Word of God stands for. I, I was, I was, I was, we were, I, we were flying back, uh, Whatever day that was, Tuesday, Wednesday, what day was that? Got home, I don't know, I got home this week. I've been battling a major head cold, and so the jet lag and that are not a fun combination. But I, I, I looked, and, and we, had a, we had about an hour and a half to go, and I had just taken a nap. I woke up, and uh, there was every seat, we were in coach, but every seat had a TV on the back of the, or monitor on the back of the seat in front of you, and you could pick whatever you wanted to watch. And I realized that most stuff was, was longer than the amount of time we had, so I just tried to find something I didn't really, uh, care about that if I didn't finish, and so I ended up settling on the secret life of pets. 
I got about 30 minutes through it, I think. But one thing that really caught my attention, there was a line in there where this cat, I don't remember the cat's name, but this cat is sitting there, and I think Max is the dog, the other dog, and he just gets, a, uh, I think, a new housemate that, that his owner brings home, and I think they were down on the street walking, and this little white cat, which is a female, yells down to Max, is it a, is, is it a, I forget the exact quote, but the gist was, is it a boy or a girl, followed by this, well, it doesn't really matter. Now, I, I don't, call me what you want to call me, but I believe with all of my heart, the reason that this country and even around the world has become so comfortable with homosexuality and, and same-sex marriage is because for years now, our senses have been numbed by what's been put on the TV. You call it innocent if you want to, but I just am of the opinion somebody knew what they were doing and was just trying to sow a little seed in the minds of some kids. It doesn't matter. Pick your pronoun. In, I mean, in every way we are bombarded. And I've come tonight to challenge you and to challenge myself with what Jesus said. Take heed, be discerning, that you don't let things creep in that seem insignificant. Because they may come in insignificant and seem like they're, they're really not that huge of a deal. But a little bit of leaven is going to impact the whole lump. not going to read all of this, but just this first part. Adam Clark says, we are not deficient in spiritual knowledge. We are not deficient in spiritual knowledge because we have not had sufficient opportunities of acquainting ourselves with God, but because we did not improve the advantages we had, meaning we've got more than what we need. We've been taught, we've had made available more than what we need. If I'm making poor decisions in my life, if I'm making poor decisions in my walk with God, it is not because there is a lack of knowledge. It's because I'm choosing to ignore what I know, what's been put in my heart, or I'm choosing to say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little thing. It's just a little matter. I am going to read all of this, and I don't, I guess hopefully some of you can read that, but the biblical illustrator says this, the influence of evil doctrine unperceived, yet injurious to our future welfare. Archbishop Waitley has made reference to the remarkable fact that, that the caterpillars of moths and butterflies are often attacked by Ichneumon flies which pierce their skin and deposit their eggs in the caterpillar's body. No immediate result follows and no injury seems to have been done until the period when the caterpillar becomes a chrysalis. Instead of a beautiful moth or butterfly emerging from the latter 
Only the parasitic insects appear. The hidden butterfly has been silently destroyed. The archbishop's suggestive comment is, May not a man have a kind of secret enemy within, destroying his soul without interfering with his well-being during the present stage of his existence, and whose presence may never be detected till the time arrives when the last great change should take place. No one, hear me tonight, no one backslides overnight. Don't raise your hand, please. Don't raise your hand. I'm asking you to respond inwardly. I'm asking you, and I am affirming within myself, there are some through my years of growing up, my years in church, that I looked at and it felt like, it seemed like they backslid overnight. Whoa, how'd that happen? Where'd that come from? But it didn't happen overnight. The outward evidence, the outward indicator that they were backslid may have appeared or seemed to appear overnight, but somewhere something had been working for a significant amount of time. Unfortunately, lying in a way that appeared to be dormant and then all of a sudden showing itself. I think the prayer of the psalmist should be a prayer of ours on a regular basis. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I don't think the prayer that David prayed after being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba should be a one-time prayer in anybody's life. I think it ought to be a regular prayer in every one of our lives. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't let anything, God, get settled in my heart that seems to be insignificant, that seems to be unimportant, that at the moment when it's first there, it seems to do no damage, but at some point down the road, the effects of something that seemed to be so small and insignificant now becomes ultimately damaging to my salvation. I just want to read one part, I think it is, of this. He states, again, Mark adds Herod in his statement, the Pharisees sought his life and were exceedingly corrupt in their doctrine and practice. The Sadducees denied some of the essential doctrines of religion and the Herodians probably were distinguished for irreligion, sensuality, and corrupt living. So he was just kind of covering all the bases. Be careful of what seems to be little, what seems to be small and insignificant that will ultimately impact everything. 
1 Corinthians 5 and 6, Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Only going to read a part of this, Barnes notes, By leaven the Hebrews metaphorically understood whatever had the power of corrupting, whether doctrine or example or anything else. Be careful of those things, those individual things that have the ability to impact. God, help us tonight with the things that we justify as being small and insignificant. I'm sorry, folks, but we are in a day and time, and from a religious standpoint, we are constantly bombarded that, you know what, the little things don't really matter. You know, if you folks would just let down a little bit, if you folks would just change a little bit. Yeah, the problem is when you start letting down, you don't stop letting down. When you start compromising, you don't stop compromising. When you decide to let go a little bit here, it becomes a lot easier to let go a little bit there and then a little bit there. And then next thing you know, you basically have let go of everything when it started as something very little. Oh, Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The Amplified says it this way, See to it that no one carries you off as spoil or makes you yourselves captive by his so-called philosophy and intellectualism and vain deceit. Idle fancies and plain nonsense, following human tradition, men's idea of the material rather than the spiritual world. Just crude notions following the rudimentary and elementary elemental teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of Christ, the Messiah. You know what? Somebody standing up, some professor standing up to most of you college kids in a college classroom and telling you that we got here by evolution. Most of you are not going to be the slight, the slightest bit troubled by that. You're not going to all of a sudden start questioning and doubting your faith because the professor said we got here from a big bang. You may not stand up and call some big scene with a debate, but in your heart, you've got the confidence in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there is no professor, there is no teacher that's going to tell you otherwise. You believe. And there's a lot of people out there that can say a whole lot of things that will never cause us to question or second guess. That's not where our danger tonight is, in my opinion. Our danger is the books, the religious books that we read, that there is so much good in them, yet there is also some attacks in them upon things that we stand for. And you start taking in all that seems to be good, and then if they've got all this good, maybe they're right on this as well. 
The TV preachers that get up and teach and preach wonderful biblical concepts, but also will imply, if not in sometimes plainly tell you, there's certain things that just don't matter and you don't have to worry about. And you start hearing all the good, and if they've got all that good, then maybe they're right about this as well. That's where our danger is. It's... It's the singers that get up and it's the singers that we listen to that sing such wonderful songs that we may even come in here and sing the same songs they sing, yet they live a lifestyle that is completely different and contrary to what we stand for and what we believe in. That's where the leaven that we've got to worry about creeping in is. I'm sorry, but most of us do not know how to differentiate between anointing and talent. Anointing and talent are not synonymous. And there's a lot of really talented people that have no anointing. But most of us don't have the ability to distinguish and differentiate with that and so we find ourselves starting to question and wonder, is everything we say really necessary? Is everything we stand for as apostolics really necessary? I've shared this, I've preached about this, but it was in the mid-90s. Most of you have heard me say it at some point if you've been around here any length of time. I am, I am not, I, I do not have one specific style of music. I like I like from southern gospel, southern gospel's here, and then there's bluegrass gospel. So I don't go that far. I, there, is a, there is a bit of a starting point. But I go from southern gospel all the way to black gospel. And to me, contemporary and all that's kind of here in the middle. When I was a teenager growing up on Friday nights, 95.1 WRBS, which was a lot different then than it is now, and I like it better now than I do then. If you, if you like it then better than now, God bless you, but, uh, it, it was, it was like mostly operatic Christian music when I was a kid on 95.1. And, 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 uh, but, but, but on Friday nights, Friday nights, I think it was 10 p.m. Friday night was the country church. And I'd go to bed Friday night listening to country church and I'd wake up Sunday morning turning to 88.9 FM gospel grace, which actually still is. So in the mid-90s, any of you that know anything about southern gospel music is when Bill Gaither started coming out with his homecoming videos. And those videos, if you don't know anything about them, it was southern gospel, primarily southern gospel singers that would sit in various settings and, and they would just sing all kinds of old gospel songs and it was just wonderful. And, and I can sit there and I was in my mid-twenties and I was sitting there watching as people that dressed differently, that acted differently than what I as an apostolic thought to be right and true as they worshipped, as they lifted their hands, as tears streamed down their face. And I went through a struggle. It looks, it seems, maybe it is okay. 
Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Thank God he answered some questions for me. But I got a feeling I'm not the only one that's ever struggled. Whether it's music or preaching. Now you don't need a TV. All you, all you need is a computer. You can listen to all kinds of preaching, all kinds of teaching. We got right now media that you have access to thousands of videos online. If you don't know how to pick out the meat and spit out the bones, then you don't need to be on there. I, I, I've eaten some fish in my lifetime that as I was chewing, I went, hmm, that's not meat. Sometimes it wasn't the most appropriate thing where I was sitting, but... I don't, I, I, I don't swallow everything hook, line, and sinker because I understand I may get some good principles, but a few good principles is not a validation of everything. Of course, the biggest challenge we oftentimes face is we get caught up in feeling. You've heard it before. I had no, I was no intent of getting on this tonight, but here we are. Isaac was Jacob's dad, right? <laughs> Isaac is about to die. His mother recognizes that and she said, you gotta, you gotta go in and get the blessing. You gotta get the birthright. No, I, I can't do that. My father knows. My father knows that I'm, I'm not my brother. My brother's hairy and, 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 and there's no way. And so his mother schemes up with him and, and, and they put sheepskin on and he goes in there and he says to Isaac, he's there for the blessing. And, and the Bible says that Isaac reaches out and he, it touches him and he says this. Paraphrased. <laughs> it feels like Esau. But the voice is Jacob. It feels like Esau, but the voice is Jacob. I understand the plan and the purpose of God and all the things that God was doing. I know we know that now, but there's still a principle there. And that is when you go by feeling rather than by the voice, most of the time you're going to make a mistake. Because you can imitate the feeling, but you can't imitate the voice. Especially when the voice you understand has to be measured by this. That it, it feels good, but let's see what the voice says. It, it feels right, but let's see what the voice says. Jesus did not say, my sheep know my feeling. Tell you something, you get standing in the right place when the air conditioner comes on, chances are you're going to get some goosebumps. I've never been in a situation outside of church where that happened. I went, oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I understood there was something else causing that. Not to mention, there are some manifestations we refer to as the presence of God that are not the presence of God. Another topic for another night. We go by the voice. How does it measure up to the voice? We don't go by what we see. 
Bishop said this in the past. I was in a conversation with someone recently that said this. All that stuff we read about, and I, I preached it the last couple of Sunday nights when I was here. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord in the dance. That wasn't written to Pentecostals. That wasn't written to apostolics. That was written to the Jews before Pentecost. What we have now adopted and claim as our Pentecostal worship preceded Pentecost. So just because somebody dances and shouts and they may run the aisle and they may do all that kind of stuff, that is not what we measure by. That's not what we judge by. I'm in it. I guess I'll stay in it for a few more moments. Moses walks in before Pharaoh and I think Moses was confident he had a trick up his sleeve and this was all going to go really easy. He was just going to throw down his rod, it was going to turn into a snake and Pharaoh was just going to be in such awe, he was going to just tell him, do whatever you want to do. Except Pharaoh had something up his sleeve and his response when Moses did what he did was, hey fellas, They came over and did the same thing Moses did. Yeah, I know Moses' serpent ended up eating their serpent. But before you get to that part, they both were doing the same trick. Moses did not stop when Pharaoh's magicians threw their rods down and they became snakes and said, Wait a minute, fellas. Let's join up. Let's go start traveling together. Because Moses understood what we did may look the same, but it's not just what we do. What is the source of what we do? And they both may have turned some sticks into serpents, but the source of how Moses did it wasn't the same as the source of what Pharaoh's magicians. So just because it looks the same does not mean the source is the same. And when we start letting down, oh Lord, I I don't know if I should... Go ahead to the next one here tonight or just, as Bishop would say, take out the nail set and drive the nail and then drive the nail set. <laughs> it's those little things. You, 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 don't have to, you don't have to have cancer to die. You can get a small, simple cut. You can get a splinter. But if it's not properly dealt with and turns into infection, can end up being life-threatening. And I wonder how many things we decide to let in. No, I, I, I know you got, I know you got to be baptized in Jesus' name and I know you got to be filled with the Holy Ghost and, and I know that speaking in tongues is the evidence of the Holy Ghost and I know there's only one God. I know that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that these three are one. I, I know they're not three separate co-equal persons. I know that, but is this really, does the way I dress really matter? Does the way I act really matter? Does my conversation really matter? Does all of this other stuff really matter? I'll say it again, folks, and some of you are blessed. You're not aware of this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
at the number of people that have decided, well, it's just a little leaven and it's just this, but I will not, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to this. I've sat at the tables with people. I'm talking about just hearsay. I've sat at tables with people that once believed everything I believe that have sat and told me. I, I don't believe that's necessary. Or I, I, I'm not talking about some of the, I'm talking about the plan of salvation. I'm talking about sitting there telling me, I, I, you know what, I, I believe in speaking in tongues, but I don't believe that it is the evidence a person's received the Holy Ghost. I, they, they weren't doubting tongues, but they just didn't believe anymore that it was the evidence, the sign. It didn't start there. It started way back over here with something that seemed to be very... Small and insignificant, but the problem is you got to beware because a little, little leaven will impact the whole lump. You know what, some of you are old enough, you know what it was like in the days in which speaking in tongues was weird and far out and it was only a small group of people. It's not that way anymore, folks. Some of you are old enough, you were, you know what the, you know what it was like. Some of you have been in this for most of your life, been in this for decades. You know what it was like when our worship was abnormal and unusual. Let me tell you something, it's not that unusual anymore. In fact, if you've never done it, go home tonight. Get on YouTube. Just go do a YouTube search for praise break. You'll see everything you see here and more. And more. See, there's a lot of things that used to be very different and distinctive, but aren't so distinctive anymore. It's not just the Pentecostals or the Charismatics that speak in tongues, but pretty much all denominations have some people in that group that have had the experience of speaking in tongues. And so all of those things are no longer that significant. Well, I guess we might as well just all join as one big happy family. No, no, because a little, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. Search me, search me, search me, O God. I guess I will move on to the next one. Matthew 18 and 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. The Message Bible says, watch that you don't treat a single one of these. Now notice this, I've always thought of this um, When he said one of these little ones, I've always thought of this simply as children. But that's not all that he's talking about here. That may be part, in fact, I'm not sure that's really what he's talking about here. Watch that you don't treat a single one of these childlike believers arrogantly. You realize, don't you, that their personal angels are constantly in touch with my Father in heaven. Barnes Note says it this way, that is, one who has become like a little child or a Christian. 
So Jesus says, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Don't let us reach the point where we develop some kind of spiritual hierarchy and we look at some as being insignificant and not worth a whole lot. Jesus then proceeds, sorry I don't, uh, continuing with Barnes notes, Jesus then proceeds to state the reason why we should not despise his feeblest and obscurest follower. That reason is drawn from the care which God exercises over them. The first instance of that care is that in heaven, their angels do always behold his face. He does not mean, I suppose, to state that every good man has his guardian angel, as many of the Jews believe, but the angels were in general the guards of his followers and aided them and watched over them. I'm not here tonight to get into some whatever point about every one of us having a guardian angel or whatever, but according to what is being said here, there's some that there, there's there's more than just ourselves keeping God's attention for us. I am more and more convinced that as much, even as much as we believe in the supernatural, we are very ignorant of the activity of the supernatural that is constantly going on around us. This is, this is taken from the practice of earthly courts to be admitted to the presence of a king, to be allowed to see his face continually, to have free access to him at all times, was deemed a mark of special favor and was esteemed a security for his protection. So says our Savior, we should not despise the obscurest Christian, for he is ministered to by the highest and noblest of beings, by beings who are always enjoying the favor and the friendship of God. How awesome is that? Paul says this, Romans 15 and 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. We ought to gossip about the infirmities of the weak. We aren't to spread rumors about the infirmities of the weak. We are to bear, to help, to strengthen the infirmities of those around us who are weak. Galatians 6 and 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, post it on Facebook. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Woe to him who thinks he stands. Hmm. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be nothing when he is to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let me tell you something. When you start prancing around like some spiritual peacock, (laughs) 
Just because you've read a person or two's mail, please don't ever forget, don't ever forget, don't ever forget that when God needed somebody to speak through, He even spoke through a donkey. Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort, you who are spiritual, who are responsive to and controlled by the Spirit, should set him right and restore and reinstate him. Set him right is not talking about your finger in their face. Set him right is... Help them get back on track. Help them get back on the pathway. Help them be revived, renewed, with, and reinstate Him without any sense of superiority and with all gentleness, keeping an attentive eye on yourself, lest you should be tempted also. Oh, God, help us. God, silence the mouth of the talebearer. Silence the mouth of the gossip at Antioch. I know there's none of them here tonight. I know that. I know that. I know they're all at home. You prove how unspiritual you are when you go telling tales on people. Let me tell you something, when you jump into something that you've got absolutely no evidence of, the problem is you do not go back and undo what you did. When most of the time when you find out something you told was wrong, you just go, oops. Which part of the problem is there's a real good chance that whoever you told it to, told it to somebody else. And let me tell you something. If you're foolish enough to believe every person that comes along and tells you, listen, I ain't told nobody else this, but I'm going to tell you. Listen, I, I, listen I'm, I ain't told nobody else. But listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you. And then you, you think you're special enough that they have confided in you? No. Love, love, love covers. Love does not expose. Love sees somebody and covers, hides. When you go around uncovering, you are proving you don't love. And by this shall all men know. Let me tell you something. You believe this if you don't, if you want to or, or not. There have been numerous times in almost 25 years of marriage, my wife has looked at me and said, did you know such and such? And I've looked back at her and said, yep. Why didn't you tell me? Because you didn't need to know. Wouldn't do you a bit of good to have known. 
me tell you wives something. Yeah, most husbands are forgetful. And there are times when most husbands should have communicated things and they forgot to communicate. But don't put every single thing in that category with your husband, especially those of you that are married to leaders. And trust them with the discretion to know there's some things you need to know and there's some things you don't need to know. Bear, endure, carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults. Wow, did you hear that? Carry one another's burdens and troublesome moral faults. Carry. Don't expose. Don't shout it from the mountaintop. Don't carry it to everybody around you but carry in the sense of helping them to overcome, and in this way fulfill and observe perfectly the law of Christ, the Messiah, and complete what is lacking in your obedience to it. For if any person thinks himself to be somebody, too important to condescend to shoulder another's load, when he is nobody of superiority except in his own estimation. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> The only place you're superior is you're a legend in your own mind. He deceives and deludes and cheats himself. The message Bible. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself. You know what? There, there are times that unspoken prayer requests are a nuisance. Most of you, if you're in a setting care group, I have an unspoken need. You start trying to turn your gifts on. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah, I knew, I knew they've been having problems. I knew it. I knew it. But you know what? There may be some times that an unspoken request is not all that bad. Because some of you have learned how to cloak your gossip in a prayer request. Hmm. We, we just, I, we need to pray for so and so. They're struggling with such and such. We make it sound so spiritual because we've requested prayer, but really what we've done is we've kind of just thrown it out there. I know something you don't know. But hopefully you're naive enough to not realize I'm just trying to show you what I know that you don't know rather than pick up on the fact I'm just being a gossip. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. You, you might be needing forgiveness before the day is out. 
stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Hmm. Seems like we all heard somewhere as a child, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Nobody, nobody, you, you do understand, you know, I don't have to say it, you know, he's not, he's not talking here, you know, about, uh, about deception and deceitfulness, he's talking about trying to save somebody's soul, not talking about, yeah, obviously there are situations in which people in leadership and people in positions need to be dealt with, that's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about in a situation where somebody is struggling and falling and making mistakes, that there is still an opportunity to turn them around. To get them back on the right track, rather than exposing it from the mountaintop. I've heard my dad say through the years, I've heard him say it publicly, I've heard him say it in private conversations. There are, there are some things about the past lives of some of the people in this church that he's never told a soul. Let me tell you something, if you came from certain types of backgrounds and God saved you, how much easier, I know it's not all about the flesh, I get that, I know that, but how much easier it is it to stand here and lift up holy hands and praise and thank God, you knowing what God has forgiven you for, but also not feeling like every eye in the building is staring at you because they know what you used to be. That's why if you win somebody, you're responsible for bringing somebody. Don't just go telling everything God's brought them out of. I'm just trying to give glory to God. I, I, I'm not doubting that. I'm, please, I'm not trying to be unkind. But, but I, I guess I'm standing here as the shepherd tonight. Because I, it's my hope that whether it's those of us that are here or those that are to come, that they can find an environment where they know I can fall and get back up. Because a righteous man, a righteous man, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up again. Last verses and I'm done. First Thessalonians 4 and 8. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. If you got some of you sit here justifying issues that you got with brothers and sisters. Let's just put it in these terms. You despise a brother and sister. You're not despising a man. You despise God. Can you, I, I, I need, I need, I need a rock. I need something for a rock. I need a rock. I need to grab a microphone, but I don't want to. Somebody got a wad of paper? Give me something. Just here. Whoop. Yeah, that, that'll work. Let me see your bottle of water. You got the top screwed on there. Can you imagine all of those people? They've caught this woman in the act of adultery. They know what the, what the law says. They bring her before Jesus, and they are all ready. Getting all loosed up, ready to throw. All of a sudden, he says, He 
that is without sin, let him first cast a stone. I can just see some of them. Is there a person in this place tonight that has not had to have God forgive you of something? And just because God hasn't had to forgive you of what He's had to forgive somebody else of. I do my best to live by the principle, no, I never have done drugs, I've never drank alcohol, I've never smoked a cigarette, I was a virgin when I got married, but this dude is just as much of a sinner as anybody else that walks in this place. Just as much. Just as much as in need of a Savior. And for me to sit on some high horse because God brought you out of something that I never came out of, your sin takes you to the same place my sin takes me to. This, 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 see if I can do this one. This one. There's some of you walking around. You got a little speck in your eye. Got casualties all around where you go because you're too busy trying to pick out the small thing in somebody's eye. Quit worrying about the speck in your brother's eye when you got a mote in your own eye. Oh, hallelujah. I heard Bishop say, I'll listen to Bishop's message from Sunday night. I'll say, I'm not mad at anybody. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For you yourselves are taught of God to love one. And that's, it's, it's almost sad, but it's because it's a little bit funny that Paul says that. I shouldn't have to talk to you about brotherly love. I shouldn't have to talk to you about loving your brother. Because you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. I shouldn't have to tell you what God teaches you Himself. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Somebody that seems to be a little less significant or a little less spiritual or a little less mature that we just can kind of run right over them. Stand, please. I want you to, it's only quarter of nine. I know I've been going a while, but would you join me for a moment? Would you in your own way, could we just, we take a moment here in closing just right where you are and ask God to help us with these two things tonight. First off, God, I don't want any leaven. I don't want there to be any leaven in me. Because any leaven that remains in me is eventually going to impact all of me. God, I don't want to take any, I don't want to despise any little ones. I don't want to despise any of my brothers or sisters, those around me that may be weak or struggling, I don't want to just run over top of them. I don't want to be unkind toward them, but I want to be one that helps to restore. Father, 
I pray by Your grace You would help every one of us. I pray tonight, God, that You would search me. Search me, God. Search me. God, if there's anything that's gotten into my spirit, if there's any bit of leaven that's gotten into my spirit that has the potential of somewhere down the road, it may not seem to affect me today. It might not seem to do anything right now, but if at some point down the road it has the potential of affecting my soul, of affecting my heart, I'm asking you now, God, to search me and take it out of me, God. Purge me and purify me that I might be clean before you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, don't let me decide something is insignificant and doesn't matter and I can allow it in, I can tolerate it because it's not a big deal, because I can't calculate the ultimate influence effect it may have. I pray, God, you would help us tonight individually and as a body that we would be the kind of church that works to restore those that stumble and fall, those that have faults, those that make mistakes, that we would be the kind of, of a people, God, that love covers, that rather than trying to expose, rather than trying to share from some feeling of superiority of what we know about somebody and their, their weaknesses and their struggles, that we would do our part, God, to bear one another's burdens, to help our brothers and our sisters in their times of struggle and weakness, God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help us, God. Help us tonight. Let us be a body that works to restore and reconcile. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, let this be an atmosphere where the backslider can walk in and in spite of their natural discomfort and fears, they would quickly feel, God, love that would welcome, love that would work to restore. In the name of Jesus, don't let us have the attitude, God, of the elder brother that sits back judging and critiquing, but let us have the attitude of you, the Father, that looks to restore. In the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. Pray that you have a good remainder of your week in Jesus' name.